Several years ago, I was hunting a church to attend. On a Wednesday night, I went to a small non-denominational church. The pastor was speaking about the woman who was taken in adultery and brought before Jesus, John chapter 8. And pastor said when she was brought in before Jesus, she was naked from the waist up. I was shocked. I've read John 8 many times. I've never read this anywhere in the Bible, that this woman taken in adultery was naked from the waist up. I looked around the congregation, and I saw men with big grins on their faces. I knew they were imagining this woman naked from the waist up. I saw lasciviousness brought into the congregation by what this pastor had said. I didn't see anyone in the congregation reach for a Bible to see if what the pastor had spoken was truth. I did have my Bible with me, and I did open it and reread the short passage in John chapter 8, which tells about the woman brought in before Jesus. There is not a word at all about her being naked when she was brought before Jesus. The pastor made this up. I've never read this anywhere in the Bible. The next day I called the pastor and I told him I had been in his service the night before when he spoke of the woman who was brought before Jesus in adultery and when he said she was naked from the waist up. And I said to pastor, I can't find that in the Bible. Could you tell me where it is? Pastor grew very silent. And then he said, well, I just can't recall where it is. And I said, well, it's very important for me to know this. So would you look it up and tell your secretary where it is and have her call me and tell me where it is in the Bible? At that point, pastor was completely silent and then he spoke very harshly into the phone and said all right it's not in the bible where do you go to church pastor knew it was not in the bible when he told me he could not remember where it was in the Bible. He knew what he had done. He knew he had brought something before the congregation which was not in the Bible. And yet he was pretending it was in the Bible. And then when he got caught, he did not repent. He was not sorry for what he had done. And there was no repentance. How can that be? I just couldn't understand it. The next Sunday, I went to another non-denominational church, and the pastor spoke something which I had never before seen in the Bible. He was teaching from Genesis about Sarah and Hagar, the handmaiden, and he said Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. Well, I, had, I was shocked. Never before had I read this. So I called him and I, I said, I, I just have never read in the Bible 
about Sarah and Hagar being half-sisters. And I went back and read that passage of Scripture, and I can't find that in the Bible. Uh, Could you tell me, please, where that is in the Bible? He said the same thing the first pastor had said. Well, I just can't recall where it is in the Bible. And I said to him, it's so important for me to know this. Could you please find it and tell your secretary where it is and have her call me and tell me? And he became angry and said, all right, it's not in the Bible. But there was no repentance. There was no sorrow. How can this be? How can this be that pastors can add things to the Bible and have no sorrow over what they have done and no repentance? Years later, I was reading in Revelation, and I saw exactly what had happened. Antichrist does not repent. Antichrist is anyone who changes doctrine of the Bible or adds to the Bible or takes away from the Bible. That's anti-Christ. Antichrist does not repent. I've also found that Antichrist in the congregations do not repent. The Word of God just doesn't mean to them what it means to me. To me, the Word of God is the Word of God. It's sacred. It's God speaking to us. All Scripture is inspired by God. So it's the same thing as it would be if God were personally standing there speaking it to us when we read a Scripture. For indeed, it is God speaking. So if we handle the Word of God incorrectly... Wouldn't we be sorry if we made a mistake and misquoted the Word of God? Wouldn't we be sorry? Oh, I I know I would be devastated. I'm always checking to be sure that I quote something correctly, even when I'm about to paraphrase the Scripture. Because it is the Word of God. And to mishandle it would be a terrible thing to do. And to bring it before the congregation, before you, wrongly, I constantly am praying that I not do that, that God helps me to see the truth, that he not let me do anything against the truth. Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus together because he knew he would never see them again. He knew they would never see his face again. So he called them together. Let's read what he said to the elders of the church at Ephesus at that time. For Paul had been shown something by God concerning what those elders were going to do at the church of Ephesus after he was gone. Acts chapter 20, start at verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, 
ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Paul knew all these denominations would start as soon as he was gone. There were men sitting there at that moment among the elders of the church at Ephesus who were just waiting for their opportunity to speak, to speak perverse things, things not in the scriptures, to draw away disciples after themselves, setting up other congregations. They had scriptures at that time. They didn't have the New Testament at that time, but they did have scriptures showing God. We have the New Testament, and we have people who are teaching perverse things, things that are not according to that which is stated in the New Testament. We have pastors doing that, we have men who say they are Bible teachers doing that, speaking perverse things to the church group, showing no shame whatsoever 
over what they have done. This is Antichrist in the churches. For many, many, many centuries, the church world has taught that Antichrist comes through the governments of men. In the early 1800s, the Russian people thought Antichrist was Napoleon. I know in the 1940s, some people thought Antichrist was Hitler. Many have been hypothesized as being Antichrist in governments of men. But the Apostle John told us the truth about Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2, start at verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. The last time began with the resurrection of Jesus. That's the reason we see so many passages of Scripture which Jesus says, I come soon, and yet it's been 2,000 years. I'm sure the Apostle Paul thought Jesus was coming immediately. Peter explains this for us in Second Peter chapter 3 where he says, Time with God is not the same as time with us. For in the eyes of God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That, I believe, explains why even in the end of Revelation, Jesus says, I come quickly. Quickly to us is next day or next week or next month or maybe even next year. It's not 2,000 years later. But in the sight of God and in the eyes of God, time is different than it is for us. Certain things had to happen before Jesus comes, one of which Paul tells us about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul even says Jesus can't come until this happens. Start at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There had to first come a falling away. In 1982, God said to me as I was reading this scripture, the falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. That had to happen before the man of sin was revealed. Because by the falling away of the scriptures, that's how the man of sin surfaced in the churches. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 2, we read that this man of lawlessness was sitting in the temple of God in the churches, not in governments of men, in the churches. Daniel chapter 8 speaks of kings of the world, and that's more nearly a description of the governments of men. But this is speaking about the church itself, how Antichrist would be sitting there in the church, not just in the form of the pastor, but the people who go along with what the pastor says and delight in the corruption that is spoken by the pastor, by the people who go along with what that pope from the Catholic Church says and all of his workers, his archbishops and, his, and all of his ranked ministers who are trying to get to the next rank This is not the way it goes in the church of Jesus Christ. You are appointed as a minister of God by Jesus. It was after the crucifixion and resurrection into heaven that Jesus set up the New Testament church. And he gave to the church some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You didn't rise to the rank of prophet or apostle. You didn't start out as a pastor and then move to an evangelist or an evangelist and move to a pastor. It's like being born male or female. Though many have perverted that. You are called and put in the church as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. I've seen many men who appear on radio, television, and pulpits, and they call themselves a pastor when they're probably not even a pastor. They call themselves an evangelist, And then later they call themselves a pastor. They don't know what they are. Often they're not even put there by God. But they put themselves into the ministry by going to Bible college, but not having the call of God on their life. Many years ago, when I was first born again, 1975, I was on fire to know things of God. I didn't know how we learned things of God. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit teaching us things of God. I didn't know anything to do except go to church and I tried to enroll in Dallas Theological Seminary not to be a preacher. God forbid that was the farthest thing from my thinking. But rather, I just wanted to know about the Bible. They sent me a very nice letter from Dallas Seminary and explained that they did not allow women to enroll in the seminary. But then they said to me, but we see that you have an earned doctorate of education. And we have preacher boys that are really bad in presenting materials. So we will invite you to come to any of our classes if you will sit in on the classes and try to help these preacher boys to present materials. 
This is also secular in plan, but I didn't know that. I went to some of the classes. I can only remember one thing that one person said, and it was probably of God, because usually when somebody says something of God, we can remember it. I don't remember helping anybody. It's all just a plan of man. When you are called to be a minister, God puts you in the ministry. Jesus puts you in the ministry. He teaches you just like he taught Paul. One reason we have so much perversion today is because people think they can go to Bible college and graduate, and then all of a sudden they're called reverend. When none of the people in the Bible call themselves reverend. To me, it would be horrifying to think of being called reverend because there's only one place in the Bible where it presents the word reverend, and that is Psalm 111, I believe. Yes, 111. Holy and reverend is his name. None of the apostles call themselves reverend. We have no example at all in the Bible calling themselves reverend. But we do have examples in the Bible of calling themselves apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Paul said he was an apostle called as an apostle and teacher. Peter said he was called as an apostle and elder. We know Philip was an evangelist. We know from the Bible that he was an evangelist. We know from Acts there were several prophets. Agabus was a prophet. Paul traveled with one of the prophets on his journeys. He took a prophet with him. Silas was a prophet. There are several prophets named but nobody calls himself reverend. Yet today, they love to call themselves reverend. They exalt themselves to a position of idolatry. They love to dress in clothing to show themselves to be something special. While that's not done in the New Testament either. It's done in the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. In the New Testament, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't wear special clothing or crosses or medallions to show that we belong to God. We speak the things God has shown us, and those people who belong to God recognize us because of what we say and what we do and the way we live. The people who are not of God will not recognize us. But the people of God, who are of God will. So why won't they repent? Why are the pastors not sorry when they add something to the Bible? Why are they not ashamed? They're just like the people in Revelation 9 who had the mark of the beast on them. Read verse 20 and 21. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass 
and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. One of our own Bible teachers was committing fornication. I heard about his girlfriend. Nobody knew he had a girlfriend. He had a separate life in private and a separate life in public. I went to him when I heard about his girlfriend and told him I'd heard about this girlfriend. He kind of beat around the bush. Finally, I said, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. No shame whatsoever. Of course. It's a natural thing to do, is basically what he's saying to me. But we don't live as a natural man when we belong to God. We are completely changed, and we follow the ways of God. And if you live by the natural man, then Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. You can read that for yourself. So I said to this man, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't come to your Bible classes. I can't have anything to do with you. He said, that's right. He didn't care. Antichrist. Doing the opposite from the Bible and teaching the opposite from the Bible. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of the thefts. When we come across a person in the churches who doesn't repent, can't repent, and isn't ashamed, we have to believe that person is Antichrist because he's opposite from Christ, from the way of God. Revelation chapter 16, which is the end of the plagues, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Verse 17. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightning. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not seen since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Even with all of this, there was no repentance. They blasphemed God. 
once they take on the mark of the beast, once they take on the teaching of men and turn from God, can they repent? I have never seen it. There are three passages of scripture which are very strong on this subject of what happens if you turn from the truth and take on the way of the world and the sins of the world. And one of these scriptures in Hebrews 10 says if they willfully depart from the truth, there's no repentance for sin because to, re- to do that would require that they have to crucify Jesus afresh and Jesus will not be crucified a second time. He's already paid for our sins. And by that crucifixion, he paid for our sins. Well, what if we go back into sins like we did before? In Hebrews chapter 6, it says it's impossible to restore them if they do this. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, that it would have been better for them never to have been born again than to return to their sins. But it happened to them to fulfill the proverb, the sow who was washed is wallowing in the mire and the dog returned to his own vomit. So there are very strong statements concerning this inability to repent after the knowledge of the truth. And it says because they didn't care to keep God's truth before them, God turned them over to a reprobate mind, a mind without his judgment. That's in Romans chapter 1. So when we come across a person like that, We have to just turn and walk away. We can explain to them all day, and they will never understand. And in Daniel chapter 12, we are told, None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand, but none of the wicked will understand. That man who currently calls himself Pope of the Catholic Church, appeared on national television and I heard him say I don't see anything wrong about being a homosexual I screamed out at the television set what about the Bible Romans chapter 1 verse 24 wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, 
men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Does this mean a homosexual can never be saved? No, no, that's not what it means. It means that if a homosexual agrees with the scripture and turns from being a homosexual, yes, he can be saved. But once he becomes born again and agrees with the word of God to go back to being a homosexual after that would bring vile repercussions upon himself. When Jesus spoke to the woman taken in adultery, he told her what? Go and sin no more. Jesus healed a man, and he said to that man, Go and commit no more sin, lest something even worse comes upon you. Through God, we are able to live godly ways on this earth. We learn in the time of temptation to say, Oh God, please help me. Please don't let me speak what I'm wanting to speak. Please don't let me do what I'm wanting to do. We know the flesh rises up in us. By the word of God, by the power of God, the flesh is kept under control and is not allowed to rise up though it wants to, and it will keep trying to rise up in us as long as we live on this earth one way or another. It will try to exalt itself and rise up. But we learn these things, and we know that we can call on God at the time the flesh is trying to take over. We know we can call on God, and He makes a way of escape for us. I've prayed so many times, oh, please don't let me say that, when I've seen my flesh trying to rise up. And never once has God failed me. Often when I say that, I don't think any more about it. And I leave the person's house and I think, I didn't say that. I didn't say it because God didn't let me say it. That's the way it is in temptations. When the flesh wants to rise up and do a work of the flesh and you call on God help me God will make a way to escape for you 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able but in the temptation will make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. We have always help from God, and he always answers our prayer when they are according to his will. You can know that he will answer it. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.